Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Ukraine's president speaks to Canada's parliament. Is Ukraine any closer to joining the European Union or NATO? We remember the former owner of the iconic Kineski store in Hamilton. Halfway through the month, we get an update on March Padness. Can any of the federal conservative leadership candidates beat Justin Trudeau at the ballot box? And HGTV Canada star Scott McGilvery joins us to talk about his new TV show. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We know uh, how important it is to be there to support people fleeing. Uh, The connection between Ukraine and Canada is deep, goes back decades, over a century. Uh, Canadians want to be there uh, for Ukrainians and we will be there for them. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau committing Canada's relationship uh, with Ukraine is as strong as ever as more military equipment is being sent to the country, uh, more humanitarian aid is being sent overseas, and um, I think NATO forces are unified in uh, trying to support Ukraine as best as they can. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky scheduled to address Canada's House of Commons later on this morning. We'll have that for you live just after the news at 11 on CHML's Bill Kelly Show. Joining us now to break down what we may expect to hear is David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent with Global News. David, good morning. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Cheers. What should we expect to hear from President Zelensky later on this morning? Well, I think the first thing is just to note the historic nature of this particular address. First of all, it's the third time that a Ukrainian president has given a joint address to the Canadian Parliament. And a joint address just means senators and MPs will be gathered in the House of Commons. So it's the third Ukrainian president to do this. Uh, the first was Viktor Yushchenko in 08, just after democracy had been restored, really, to Ukraine. Second was Petro Poroshenko in 2014, and that was after Russia had just invaded Crimea. And now we have uh, Volodymyr uh, Zelensky giving his address. This will be the first in, we've had, I don't know, 60, 65 world leaders speak to this joint address to Parliament over the years. Obviously, this is the first coming in through video conference, because, of course, President Zelensky is still in Kiev, still leading his, his people there. And, you know, this is really the first wartime address by a leader to the parliament since, I mean, you've got to go back to Winston Churchill in 1941. And I, I, I bring up the Churchill reference because when Zelensky spoke to the British parliament about a week and a half ago, a lot of people were commenting how Churchillian he sounded. And of course, he was speaking Ukrainian, but I, this was just one of his phrases. We will continue fighting for our land, whatever the cost. We will fight in the forests, on the shores, in the streets. And of course, any student in history can remember sort of that, that echo of Churchill there, fight in the beaches, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and Zelensky has won praise and, and plaudits all over the world for his transformation into this wartime president and has really galvanized uh, not only the population of Ukraine around the cause there to fight off the Russians, but really the world. I would gather that the message is going to be somewhat similar today to Canada's parliament with that, uh, you know, addition of uh, and the repeated call to have a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Do you get that sense as well? Yes. So Zelensky has two speeches this week, both important on this side of the pond, today to the Canadian parliament and tomorrow to the U.S. Congress. Same thing. And you're right. The, the themes will be very similar to both uh, legislatures in that Zelensky wants to, he doesn't want to let the West off the hook, to let Western leaders know that that death and destruction that we are seeing in Ukraine on the television news every night, that that can be prevented if the West does more. 
And the chief thing that Zelensky has been asking about, you're right, is for NATO to enforce a no-fly zone. Canada and NATO have decided that it's not the right time to do that. For one thing, most of the damage you're seeing to Ukrainian cities right now is being caused by Russian artillery, Russian rockets, cruise missiles, not from Russian aircraft uh, dropping bombs or strafing cities. And so NATO's concluded that a no-fly zone would not prevent that damage. There's other things that have to be done. And the second thing is NATO it does take stock of Vladimir Putin's warnings and believes that if NATO aircraft start shooting down Russian aircraft or attacking Russian air bases on Russian soil, that would escalate this conflict. We'd be into something much bigger uh, that could provoke uh, Putin to start attacking NATO countries, Poland, for example, uh, in Europe. And so for that reason, NATO's not going to do that. But that doesn't mean Zelensky. I mean, you can hardly blame him for, again, letting Western leaders know that, you know, more needs to be done. Now, the unique thing for the address to the Canadian Parliament, of course, is there's no country in the world outside Ukraine that has more Ukrainians than Canada does. Uh, I'm certain he will stress that. I know President Poroshenko did, President Yushchenko did in their addresses, that, uh, you know, the, the idea that a Ukrainian will feel very much at home here. Uh, for the first time since the pandemic, we'll have the visitors' galleries opened up in the House of Commons. And I know that many Ukrainian Canadians from the GTA are traveling up here. There's, there's, there's not, not unlimited space, but there's space for those, those folks. We've got some, obviously, uh, MPs that have connections, uh, family connections to the Ukraine. The Tobacco's Yvonne Baker, the liberal, uh, James Bazan, the conservative from north of Manitoba. So it, it will be, I think, uh, a very emotional day. Uh, for a very important speech from the Ukrainian leader. We only have about 30 seconds. Do you think today's speech will spur the Canadian government to do even more for Ukraine, whether it's more sanctions against Russia or more help for the country? I don't think the Canadian government needs to be spurred to do that. They're ready to do that. They may not do as much as Zelensky wants them to do, but yes, Christian Freeland, another MP with Ukrainian roots, our Deputy Prime Minister, has said more sanctions are available. We may be prepared to seize assets. As far as military help, look for, for uh, Canadian assets to provide more intelligence and reconnaissance assistance to Ukrainian forces. That is key to their success on the battlefield so far. Great stuff as always, David. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Cheers. David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent with Global News, breaking down today's speech by Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, which we will bring to you just after the news at 11 o'clock on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It kept getting worse. Second, whatever the outcome, this war will have no winners. Only losers. That is the voice of UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who says with about three million people now fleeing Ukraine in the wake of the Russian invasion, uh, the attacks have created a humanitarian crisis that is deepening, and absolutely so. This is Good Morning Hamilton. You're listening to 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. If Ukraine manages, and I'm looking, I'm looking past this conflict, once this brutal invasion by Russia is over, and if Ukraine manages to survive it some way, somehow, will it have a clear path to join the European Union and, and even joining NATO at some point? Paul Hamilton is our next guest. He's an associate professor of political science at Brock University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. How close or, or maybe more appropriately, how far away is Ukraine from joining the EU? It's quite some distance away. Um, there are the, the process of joining the EU is really arduous. 
Croatia is the latest member. They joined in 2013. They took 10 years. Um, and that's a long process involving an initial vote um, to see if the EU member states will admit the country. Um, then there's uh, negotiations on the process of harmonization. So imagine where you have to harmonize 35 different public policy areas to meet EU standards. And that process can take quite some time. Um, so it, it's far off. The numbers that I've heard from EU um, civil servants and political uh, uh, figures uh, in the media is between 10 and 20 years, and that's a minimum. And does this military operation that Russia is uh, leveling against Ukraine, is it just pushing the country further away from the EU in terms of what it can offer to the 27-member European Union? Well, it's funny because it's it's not funny, but it, it's it's a paradox because uh, the the invasion is pushing the pushing Ukraine closer to Europe, as we've seen the obvious outpouring of support and sympathy from the Western countries for Ukraine. So that is good. And uh, the European Parliament is very much in support of Ukrainian membership, uh, as is the president of the European Commission. And uh, But of course, the problem is the invasion itself adds another complication. You may have heard of the Minsk Accords. They expired just before the invasion. And uh, what that means is um, Ukraine is a government that doesn't control its entire territory, not only because of the Russian invasion, but because of the new republics that Mr. Putin recognized in Donetsk and Luhansk uh, on uh, February 21st. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it has a paradoxical effect, um, uh, but but it makes everything more complicated. Paul Hamilton is our guest. He's an associate professor of political science at Brock University. We are chatting about Ukraine's potentially eventual uh, inclusion in the European Union and, and maybe even one day NATO. What does Ukraine bring to the table that uh, entices European nations to say, yeah, okay, you can join our club? Well, it, it's, it has a young population. Um, it's a fairly resource-rich place. It it's the second largest country in Europe after Russia. Um, it has many things going for it. Um, and so I think it would be a, 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 an attractive member. I don't know about the long-term prospects of Ukraine and NATO. And that is because of the central role that Ukraine has played in Russian history. It seems to me to be a very difficult problem Ukraine wants to be Western, but the every move they make towards greater integration with the West is seen by the Russians as a threat. And this will not easily be resolved. And so um, I, it, it's unfortunate for Ukraine because of geopolitics. It seems to be in a kind of limbo and, and really has been since it got independence in 1991. If Ukraine somehow manages to survive this invasion, as I said before, do you think NATO allies will want to welcome Ukraine in sooner rather than later to avoid a, a repeat down the road? 
Well, this is it. Um, it really depends on the outcome of this invasion. Um, my own feeling is we should be prepared for a lengthy um, Russian occupation, uh, perhaps not of all the country, but uh, of large portions of it. And this will, you know, basically uh, um, put everything in a in a, a frozen state. There'll be no way to uh, uh, progress on the westernization of Ukraine as long as there is a Russian uh, presence there. It's a great point. Um, Paul, so we've we got to press pause on this because we're out of time, but I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. Paul Hamilton, Associate Professor, Political Science at Brock University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Very sad news and shocking news over the weekend. Former owner of the iconic Kineski store on Barton Street, Joel Holzman, passed away Sunday. Just about the time that the puck dropped on the NHL Heritage Classic, uh, basically a stone's throw from where Kineski's once stood on Barton Street, uh, at Tim Hortons Field. Reverend John McVicker is our guest. He's a longtime friend of Joel Hultzman, uh, founder of the Eva Rothwell Center, co-founder of the Inner City Outreach Ministry. Reverend McVicker, how are you today? I'm doing good. Uh, just a sad news about Joel. Absolutely. Many people involved in the local hockey scene were rocked by the news of his passing on Sunday. What's been going through your mind since you heard the news? Well, Joel was the go-to guy for sports, for general discussion on any topic he wanted to and now that's gone his um, now he's left a legacy though of uh, with Kineski sports and with all the people he's touched thousands of people and every time he walked into his store you were the the focus uh, you know he'd have 10 customers in the store but you'd walk in and he said oh hi Don how you doing or hi Sam how you doing and then he'd, he'd just you'd be uh, had have that moment of time that he wanted to find out about uh, what was happening in your life. And he did that for every single person. When did you first meet Joel? Grade nine, uh, 50 years ago at McDonald high school. Wow. So you, you guys have some stories to tell. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> just been amazing. He has, uh, he touched um, all the stories on Terry Sajak, Jacques Plante, Johnny Bauer, like all the goalies. And he had the brothers. I remember my mom bought a bicycle in 1964, a tricycle, when um, uh, on, right on Barton Street. She walked down, she bought it for my, my sister. And then you got to see all the Kineski brothers, right? They were, And they had hundreds of stories, those fellows. Just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd, you'd walk into Kineski's uh, on Barton, and um, you, you would see, obviously, all the new goalie equipment that they were, you know, creating and selling. But there was also, uh, you know, a, a thick past in there that you can kind of wave with your hand like a fog that just really, uh, you know, uh, enwrapped you into, you know, what had happened so many years ago at that store. And Joel was a big part of that. Oh, Joel... I think he was about 12 years old. He used to work part-time in the, the stock area and then moved up into the store area. And uh, he was always there, like 24 hours a day, pretty much seven days a week. Uh, and you could always go there and, and uh, if you had a question about anything in Hamilton, he was the guy to go to. He was the uh, the prince of Hamilton. I know they said that he's the mayor of Hamilton, <laughs> of, Bar- of Barton, but, uh, Barton Street, but I think he was really the prince of Hamilton. 
Reverend Don McVicker is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Don is a longtime friend of Joel Holzman, also the founder of the Eva Rothwell Center and co-founder of the Inner City Outreach Ministry. For those who didn't have a chance to meet Joel, and that's probably a very short list, how would you describe him? Uh, he's got a contagious smile, and he makes you feel very comfortable when you see him. But he'd light up the room um, anytime you went at any function, you know, you just walk in and he, he was loyal to all his uh, family and friends to so many people. And he really, he really made you feel welcome. I remember walking into the store, you know, a few times, including on the 100th anniversary of the store, I think it was 2015 or so and interviewing him. And I, I thought it was going to be like a five, maybe a seven minute interview. I was there for at least half an hour, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. It was just a great discussion. And he did everything from loading the truck to unloading the truck to sharpening skates. Like I could, I couldn't imagine how many skates that he's sharpened and and um, over the many many years. And one time he was able to. Uh, he was so generous with all the sports teams that he donated to. But I remember it's, this is 34 years ago. We were just starting the inner city outreach ministry on Wentworth Street North, and uh, the Reverend Helen Allen. She went down. She said, "I'm going to see Joel," and she went down and she just went to chat with him for a few minutes. And she came back with two basketballs, like premium basketballs, mm-hmm. in her hand. And that was to start our our basketball program for the youth on Wentworth Street. Wow! And she got it from Kaneski's. Joel, yeah, just wow. don't, she he donated them to her. He says, "Here you go," and off she went. And we started our basketball program with those two basketballs. <laughs> That's amazing. What do you think Joel and Kaneski's mean to Hamilton? What what's his legacy? Well, he had a real gift uh, of bringing people together and letting them share their experiences in sport. Um, and I think that part of um, even those stores gone. Joel and the Kineski legacy will always remain because um, there's so many people that he touched um, throughout Hamilton. And it's just the goodness, the kindness, and the generosity of Joel that will be forever remembered. Absolutely. Reverend McVicker, thank you very much for the time today. My pleasure. God bless you, my friend. And keep up the great work with your show. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Reverend Don McVicker, longtime friend of Joel Hulsman, also the founder of the Eva Rothwell Center and co-founder of the Inner City Outreach Ministry with his wife, uh, Carol. Great ministry, and they do some great work. Uh, yeah, you can walk into Kineski, see Joel Hulsman, n- not know who he is, and you'd have a, a lengthy conversation. He was just one of those guys who just wanted to get to know you. Talk about anything. You could talk about hockey, the weather, what's going on in the city. Great article in the Hamilton Spectator by Scott Radley, spec columnist and host of the Scott Radley Show, weeknights uh, 6 to 8 here on 900 CHML. And in the article, he recalls a story, and and this would happen once in a while, and more often than not with just the regular Joe Schmoes. But one morning, um, you know, they open up the store, and Joel is with, you know, a couple of his buddies in the store, and they're just talking about stuff, you know, the regular hot stove, as they called it. And in walks uh, an older fellow, and, uh, you know, Joel says, hey, can I help you out? You know, you're looking for something in particular. And the older gentleman says, no, you know, my wife's in the hospital down uh, in the general. I'm just, uh, you know, soaking up some time here. I got some time on my hands. And, um, you know, one thing leads to another, and they find out that this individual knew Terry Sawchuk. You know, Stanley Cup winning goaltender of the Maple Leafs and Red Wings and, you know, Hockey Hall of Famer. And they ask, well, who, who are you that you know Terry Sachuk? And he says, well, my name's Ted. Ted Kennedy. And they're like, 
Ted Kennedy, five-time Stanley Cup champ, former Maple Leaf icon, uh, who was you know, absolutely unassuming. They had no idea. And so they struck up a conversation and just treated him like one of the guys. That That's what it was like going to Kineski's and, and chatting with Joel Holzman. Uh, our thoughts and condolences with the Holzman family as they uh, grieve Joel's loss, but his legacy will live forever in this community. There's no doubt about that. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Trying to give a little love to many people in our community. And uh, we're trying to do so through what is a pretty important initiative called March Padness. It is a uh, an initiative between the CHML Children's Fund and Hamilton Food Share. We're trying to raise donations and contributions of hygiene and feminine products. We can disperse it throughout the community. We're halfway through this month, so how is this March Padness proceeding. Let's ask the CEO of Hamilton Food Share, Joanne Santucci, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Joanne. Good morning, Rick. How you doing? Great tune, by the way. Hey, thank you very much. Not my doing. That's producer Alicia in the studio who is pressing all the important oh, buttons. Amazing. Absolutely. Um, we've hit the midway point of March Padness. How is it going so far? Well, we're going to be checking in probably later today, but uh, we're up to about, I think, a thousand kind of items being donated up to date. Do we have a sense of what is more needed right now than than ever before? Well, I think everything has changed since COVID, Rick. Like, so many things have changed. And one of the things are, you know, basic uh, hygiene products are, are really basic needs. And the food bank's going to start stocking those as we're committed to making sure this product is on the shelf. It really is a basic health issue where there's access to barriers, like barriers to access, barriers to, uh, you know, uh, just, just being healthy and being able to, you know, do what you have to do throughout the day, as most other people do when you have showers and, you know, you take care of yourself that way. Yeah, it's a lot. It, you know, I think it's a segment that, that people don't really think about when they think about people in need. They, I, I think the first thought is, hey, they need food, they need shelter. But, you know, these kind of products, uh, they, I think, boost the morale and psyche that individual who's now able to use them. If they do, you know, and, and for someone to worry that they might not have that kind of product, that just isn't the way it should be. You know what I mean? Everybody should have access. And really at the heart of it all, Rick, whether it's food or hygiene products, it's really the affordability and, uh, you know, the things going on right now because of COVID. You know, like the unbelievable interest rates are, are starting to climb. Now we have, interest, you know, uh, the cost of living is going up. People barely making it are finding it so hard to buy products. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Joanne Santucci is the CEO of Hamilton Food Share, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as we discuss March Padness. It's an initiative between the CHML's Children's Fund and Hamilton Food Shares. We're trying to raise donations and contributions of hygiene and feminine products that we can disperse to those who need those products. You mentioned, you know, the cost of living. Gas prices are up, food prices are up, inflation's going up, interest rates going up. It's getting more and more expensive to live. I, I can imagine that this program is coming at a pretty good time for lots of people in our community. It really is. You know, we're so committed to what people are experiencing when living in poverty to try to actually, you know, make that go away just a little bit, you know, so they can have a fighting chance to get other things done. Like the cost of living now is just ridiculous. Food is up, like gas, heat, oil, all of the things in the wintertime that used to drive people to a food bank because the expenses are so high are even more higher than they've ever been. So I don't know where we're going. I'm hoping that inflation is going to be stopping at some point. We'll be able to get our economy caught up 
to fill in some of those gaps. This is what I'm hoping. How rough has this winter been for Hamilton's less fortunate? Are you seeing more and more people access Hamilton Food Share? I don't know about more, but I think, I wouldn't say the scope is larger, but I would say the, the effects are deeper. People are more impoverished than ever because of, you know, the cost of living. Because of, like, everywhere you turn, the, you turn your heating on for the winter, that's an extra uh, an expense, and it's also an expensive expense, right? Then you have heat and hydro. On top of that, you need cable. Then you have to pay your rent. Rents are pretty much off the chart. Like a one bedroom is like six, seven hundred dollars. That's just for one bedroom, and that's if you can find it. Usually, they're in the thousand dollar range now. You know what I mean? So as things start to climb, everything is climbing a little bit exponentially. Usually, you would have one or two products climbing, but it seems like everything across the board is more expensive. Is there something uh, most in demand from those who uh, access the services at Hamilton Food Share? I think if we keep it to the basic needs, I think we're doing uh, really well if we can get people to think in that those terms. So anything you would want to have for a meal, anything you need for your lunch. And we're also now looking at, you know, basic hygiene products, personal hygiene products, as well as, uh, you know, feminine products as well. So uh, I think if we look at what are the basic needs for anybody and stick to that kind of a list of items, you'll be pretty much on the mark. Joanne Santucci is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. She is the CEO of Hamilton Food Share. Um, joining forces with the CHML Children's Fund in this March Padness initiative as we uh, raise donations and contributions of hygiene and feminine products for those uh, in need in our community. I've I've known the story for years in terms of uh, monetary donations as opposed to you know donating stuff and uh, those monetary donations are critical because you can make that dollar stretch a lot further. Absolutely. For every dollar we get in, we can actually raise $5 worth of product. And we're doing really great. You know, like our, our community is just one big giant hug around, you know, a lot of people in need in this community, especially through the emergency food system. But, you know, Rick, awareness is everything. And I can't thank you enough for, for letting me come on today. I can't thank you enough for all your crew just pulling together to try to figure out the, uh, you know, the, the, the Fenham product stuff so we can actually get that out to people in the community. So I can't thank you enough for that awareness. Well, hey, we're trying to do our best. I know that Hamilton Food Share is, uh, you know, on a pedestal in this community, and rightfully so. You guys do some amazing work. Thanks for the time today, and good luck with the rest of the month with uh, March Padness. You have a wonderful day, Rick, and thank you so much. That's Joanne Santucci, the CEO of Hamilton Food Share. You can donate in a number of ways. You can go online at 900CHML.com, click on the March Padness icon. You can also go right to the Hamilton Food Share website, hamiltonfoodshare.org, and donate what you can. And this is a, it's a critical initiative. I mean, we mentioned it, you know, with, with gas prices going up, cost of food going up, rental rates and the availability of those rental spaces in town is, number one, they're hard to come by. When they do find them, they are, in terms of price point, too high for some people. And so they're trying to make do. And so this program uh, just adds that little bit of uh, relief for those individuals. It's something they don't have to buy. And if we can continue to uh, donate either money or those uh, hygiene and feminine products through the March Padness Initiative, uh, we would be absolutely grateful for you uh, in doing so. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Western Canadians have had enough to finally fix Western alienation and unite our country. Western Canadians need a Conservative Party to do something that we haven't done in over a decade. 
and that's win. That is the voice of Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown, now one of, well, a handful of leadership candidates for the Federal Conservative Party. And over the next few months, Canadians can expect to hear many of those candidates, if not all, speak about uniting the party. Fact of the matter is... The party's main goal should be to pick a new leader who can beat Prime Minister Justin Trudeau at the ballot box. At the end of the day, that's that's what the mission is. Welcome back. This is Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. And with me is Brian Lilly, columnist with the Toronto Sun, who writes about this issue. Brian, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Rick. And always good to be on Hometown Radio. Like a broken record, we're going to hear each and every of these leadership candidates talk about unifying the Tory party. What level of importance does that message have to conservatives? Well, I'm not going to say it's not important at all. There obviously are some divides going on. Um, I always think that people like myself in the media overplay them. So I'm I'm one of the people in the media that's always saying, actually, the divide between the, the red Tories and the old reformers is, you know, too deep. Uh, or, or is overplayed. It's not that deep. Yeah, there's differences, but you get that in every party. Like, you know, the Liberal Party is not a, a monolith. There are divisions within the Liberal Party. They, they're they just not played up as much, either by the media or by themselves. Um, but there are different strains of Liberals. There are different strains of New Democrats. Parties are coalitions. And so, yeah, they have to unite the coalition that is the Conservative Party to win. But the biggest thing they have to do is pick somebody who can win in the general election whether justin trudeau sticks around for the next one or decides to take his walk in the snow they need to find somebody who can take them from the 33 34 percent they've had in the last two elections you know winning the popular vote but not winning the votes in the right places and take them to that 37 to 39 percent that they need to win either a strong minority or a majority government because otherwise, you're just organizing to have the next version of the conservative debating club. When you analyze the current crop of candidates, how many of them would you say have a legitimate chance to unseat Trudeau? I would say the three front runners do, and, and that would be Pierre Poiliev, Jean Charest, and um, Patrick Brown. Uh, they all have the, the chance to win. And they all would have the the ability uh, to uh, to unseat Justin Trudeau. You know, Justin Trudeau won the last election with the smallest percentage of the popular vote that we've ever seen in Canada, just 32%. And people like to, you know, they used to like to say popular vote mattered. And, and now that their guy's winning without it and, and at the very lowest level we've ever seen, they say, but we don't elect via popular vote. No, we don't. But it is an indication of how healthy the government is. This is the weakest minority in Canadian government history. So uh, Trudeau is not in playing from a, a position of strength. He was hit hard by the uh, uh, by the uh, his handling of the trucker convoy and the protests and the use of the Emergencies Act. He, you know, people didn't like how that protest was going, but they didn't really love the government response either. And, and thus we saw the uh, uh, really playing up of the photo ops on his recent trip to Europe to to discuss Ukraine, to try and change the channel and remind people, hey, I'm here, I'm on the world stage, I'm doing great things. That was a very studied reason he did that. So yeah, he is not in a position of strength. These three guys could do that. I don't think Leslie Lewis 
can. She did very well in the last uh, uh, leadership race, surprising people and finishing a strong third. But I don't think she's going to have that same lightning strike again. And Roman Babber, I, I don't think, is, is going to go very far at all. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Brian Lilly, columnist with the Toronto Sun. We're chatting about the conservative leadership race. Pierre Poiliev, as you mentioned, I would say he's in the driver's seat. He got out early. He's appealing to the right, of course. He's been a vocal critic of the Trudeau government for years now. In saying that, uh, do you give Brown or Jean Chaudet the edge in the guy who can maybe overtake Poiliev in that leadership position? It's all going to come down to organization and selling membership. So at this point, we don't know. Uh, look, Pierre uh, is someone who surprised people from the start of his political career. In 2004, he unseated a sitting defense minister in Paul Martin's government. Paul Martin, uh, liberals won the 2004 election, but Pierre Poilievre won his local seat, beating David Pratt, who was a popular defense minister. And he surprised people along the way. Um, Sheree and Brown have to sell an awful lot of memberships. Uh, we know Patrick Brown can do that because he did that to win the Ontario PC party leadership. Jean Sheree has been out of the game for a long time. You can't discount his past record. He helped win the 95 referendum on Quebec separation. He won uh, provincial elections in Quebec in 2003, 2007, 2008. And I know the poly of supporters always say, yeah, but we need someone who can stand up to the media as someone who, um, you know, an, a unilingual Anglo Anglophone from Hamilton who went to Montreal and worked in the media there. You've never seen media uh, angry and antagonistic towards a politician like the Quebec media towards a federalist politician, especially back then. So he can handle that. Can he sell the memberships in enough time? That is the big the big question, and we won't know the answer for, for quite a while. If they're able to do that, they've got a, a strong shot. But Pierre has the, the edge on uh, on being out there early, on his social media channels, being on fire. He speaks directly to people, not just through you and I. He's got a direct link through his Facebook and Twitter and Instagram accounts where he can get his message out with no filter. Got one more minute with Brian Lilly, columnist with the Toronto Sun. You wrote a great piece yesterday in which you point out that leadership races provide other parties, in this case the governing Liberals, with a ton of fodder for future election attack ads. It's really a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah, so some people are loving the fact that the gloves are off. And, uh, you know, yesterday Pierre Polyev was saying Patrick Brown lies a lot. And Patrick Brown was saying Pierre Polyev can't speak about helping uh, new immigrants uh, settle in Canada. He supported uh, policies that were uh, very much against immigrants uh, when he was in the Harper government. And, and so they're, they're trading barbs and they get worse than that. And, and Polyev, who started all the punching, is telling people, oh, you know, stop being divisive. Look, you started the punching, the punches are going to come back at you. And and I remember watching this in 2006 with the Liberals, and that's what this campaign is reminding me of. It was a tough campaign among the Liberals as they fought to decide which direction they were going to go. And we all remember the ads of Stefan Dion standing on stage saying, do you think it's easy to make priorities? And the Conservatives <laughs> turned that into a a leadership ad saying, this guy's not a leader. He doesn't know how to make priorities. They had Michael Ignatiev lecturing him on stage saying, you didn't get it done, Stefan. That was gold for the Tories. And they dined out on that for years. The Tories might be returning the favor right now. 
That's why they've got to get out of the clown cars and stop shooting at each other and focus on what their job is, which is if if you want to be leader of the Conservative Party, your goal is to unseat Justin Trudeau, not make ads for Justin Trudeau. We have about seven months before a new leader is chosen. Brian, appreciate the time. It'll be fun covering this uh, leadership race from here on in. Thank you, Rick. Brian Lilly, columnist with the Toronto Sun. You can check him out online, torontosun.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We really love home reno shows on TV, and we really love those HGTV superstars. And we're pleased to be joined by one of those guys today, Scott McGilvery, real estate investor, contractor, entrepreneur. Scott, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Thank you. We had the pleasure of watching last night the premiere episode of Scott's Own Vacation House on HDTV Canada. What's it about this series that drew you to renovating your own vacation property? <laughs> well, you know, I think uh, over the years, people have watched us renovate all kinds of different properties. And one of my favorite things is is renovating these vacation properties not only because there's a lot of profit potential and I see a lot of uh, opportunity in that space, but because I personally thoroughly enjoy uh, lakefront properties. And while we were filming this season of Scott's Vacation House Rules, um, I kind of happened across a property and took a look at it. And I thought, wow, this would be an amazing opportunity. It's a, it's a large, multi, uh, you know, multi-populated property with a bunch of outbuildings and a bunch of cottages. It's kind of like a, a cottage compound. And um, and, I, and then I thought, well, if someone's going to do it, it might as well be me. Uh, so we, <laughs> my wife and I decided to buy this property and started renovating all of the cottages. And that's that's where, where this series was born out of. It was born out of just the natural process of us buying these properties and then getting in slightly over our heads as you know, lots of lots of obstacles with these uh, properties that are a little older, way up north, um, and you know, just a, just a whole bunch of things that you couldn't predict. The supply chain issues and the pandemic was one whole scenario. Uh, labor shortages and then timeline challenges, and of course, when you start renovating these older buildings, the more you the more you dig into them, the worse they seem to be. <laughs> uh, the uh, Scott's own vacation house is a, a four-part special that focuses uh, focuses on your cottage located in uh, Kawartha Lakes. Whenever you're renovating or helping renovate a property that is someone else's, obviously you have a vested interest in how that turns out. But is it a little different knowing this is your property? Of course, it's different. You know, the, I think the biggest challenge is when it's your own property. You, I'm there all the time. We're trying to pivot to accommodate last minute changes and troubleshooting obstacles. When I'm working on other people's projects, of course, you know, you want things to go well and you're concerned for your homeowners. Um, but to be honest, they put a lot of trust in your hands. They kind of wipe their hands clean of it. They're like, okay, you're going to do the renovation. Thank you very much. We can't wait to see when it's done. <laughs> and so as soon as we start working on it, they have a, a, a slight sense of relief. For me, being the one, you know, the one paying the client and the contractor, it's just, it's constantly, there's a lot of pressure. You're constantly trying to pivot for different challenges and you're looking at different options. And 
I don't know. It, obviously, it's harder when you're working on your own stuff. Uh, so, and then when your family is your client too, you know, you constantly have that in the forefront. The big picture is that it's an opportunity and we're excited, but, it, you know, step by step through the show, and especially as now I'm watching it back, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we underestimated how much we were going to have to do here. <laughs> Scott McGilvery is our guest, HGTV star, real estate investor, contractor, entrepreneur. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, in a few weeks' time, Scott's Vacation House Rules will debut, season three coming up. What should we expect? Well, this, you know, I'm excited for this show because one of the hottest things in real estate are, you know, domestic vacation properties, cottages, cabins, lodges, ski chalets. And that's exactly what we're tackling in this show. And we're showing people realistic ways to get into that market and to make it affordable, not only affordable, but profitable, I should say, um, because people, you know, they they may have heard about these ideas of owning vacation properties and potentially renting them out. But it's still a new concept to a lot of folks. But the reality moving forward with where housing prices are is that this is a great way to get into the real estate market, have an affordable way to manage these properties and pay for them. And if you're really savvy, like we try to show people on the show, you can be quite profitable. Um, people are making a tremendous amount of income the rental rates for domestic properties are up 30 to 40% over the last two years. Um, and the platforms that support these types of properties have, have evolved tremendously. So it's pretty user-friendly. Um, anyone can make this happen if they follow, well, if they follow vacation house rules, uh, it, <laughs> it shows you the step-by-step -step way that you can make this a reality. Scott, this is uh, exciting. Renovation shows, uh, at least in my household, are very popular. We'll be tuning in to Scott's Vacation House Rules. It premieres on April 11th at 9 p.m. on HGTV Canada. And, of course, we'll be following along as Scott's own Vacation House continues on HGTV Canada as well. Appreciate the time today, and good luck with your future renos. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.